<laughs> and now we can start. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. If you build it, they will come. Joel, have you seen that movie? You seen that movie, Joe? Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. In our 670 of the score studios, Jordan Malley. Shout out to Jordan Malley. Did Matt Peck yeah. get a signed copy of that book? No, Matt Peck, he didn't. No. No. I'll talk to D. Rose. Yeah, you got, you're going to make, make Matt, it happen. Matt, you will be getting your book soon. <laughs> Kick back and get ready for the best hour of your day. Are players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. And so all I was saying on this podcast, the Locked on Bulls podcast. Locked on Bulls, five days a week. Locked on Bulls starts now. You can just see the vibe. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Drop your texts, your voicemails, anything you got for us, 331-979-1369. Matt, how are you? What's going on? Uh, Happy, I guess happy Monday. Still no NBA basketball for the foreseeable future but uh how was your trip up to michigan and what's going on what's up jordan what's up bulls nation yeah it's kind of funny i mean you, you pause for a second before you said monday I, I feel like that's how everyone feels right now all these right. days of the week kind of blending <laughs> i have no idea what fucking day it is um but yeah we uh we made it up to michigan safely uh my brother just arrived the other day dro- driving all the way up from houston uh to meet up he was the last one to get up here so the whole family's up here just kind of laying low uh nieces are keeping me plenty busy and uh, uh plenty of good food and drink up here we're just kind of waiting things out it's it's real chilly but uh i heard that chicago is actually getting dumped on with uh, a fresh batch of snow as we speak so uh how are you holding up <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah unfortunately if it you know if it wasn't annoying enough with uh the quarantine and everybody worrying and concerned about that that we just have the annoyance if you do have to go outside for you know run to the grocery store the gas station you have to deal with the snow the snow came down last night which was bizarre in itself and just weird everything else around us has been so concerned with the coronavirus we don't think about the little issues that we dealt with before right like like snow and driving and traffic and all of that stuff and i was telling you too before this you know yesterday morning i went into the score studios i had to work from 6 a.m to noon and the roads man I, i saw maybe a dozen cars on the highway real real heavy police presence it seems like they're just trying to keep everything safe as well uh but i probably saw a dozen cars outside of 18 wheelers that were still driving and the city was just an absolute ghost town it was surreal almost to think you know on a sunday afternoon when i got out i was i maybe could point out two dozen people as i drove down lakeshore drive it was it was just maddening yeah and you know even funnier to think that just a week before that there was a line out the door at every bar in Chicago. People right. out there completely ignoring the advice of social distancing because they had to drink some green beer. Very, very true. And it's just, I don't know how, how fast this is, has, you know, how, how fast the news has changed and all the information that we're getting. It is, it's very bizarre, but everybody that's still going to work, I know, you know, for a lot of the essential jobs out there, talking police officers, firefighters, uh, first responders, Uh, People that work in the medical industry that are nurses or doctors that work at hospitals, everywhere in between are still out there basically living, you know, you have to live somewhat of a a normal life at this point because you're still going to work every day. 
So hopefully, if you're one of those and still listening to our podcast, hopefully we get you through, I don't know, an hour of your work and kind of distract or escape you from that. But Matt, you and I wanted to kind of update everybody on what's going on with the NBA. I know Adam Silver spoke on Friday with the NBA's The Jump with Rachel Nichols, and I wanted to play you this clip, and I wanted to play this for our listeners who may have not had a chance to listen to it. Adam Silver talks about three different options as far as the NBA's route and getting back to games being played, and the one thing that I want to preface this with is Adam Silver you know, not every idea is a very good idea, but I do applaud him for the fact that they're doing as much as they can to try to get games back because they realize how much how important sports are to people for an escape and what they need to watch and having something to watch to distract all of us. Uh, we need to be entertained before we all go insane. Uh, so I want you guys to hear this. This is Adam Silver with uh, Rachel Nichols on Friday. One of the things that we're very focused on at the league office and together with our teams is what are the conditions we would need to restart. And, uh, and I'd say I'm looking at three different things here. One is, of course, when can we restart and operate as we've known it, 19,000 fans in buildings, and sort of that's one set of criteria. And option two is, how would we re- should we consider restarting without fans? And what would that mean? Because presumably, um, if you had a group of players and staff around them and you could test them and you could follow some protocol doctors health officials may say it's safe to play so that's sort of second set of circumstances and then a third option that we're looking at now and i would say all suggestions welcome is that as i sort of beginning of this interview i've mentioned the impact to me on the national psyche of having no sports programming on television and one of the things we've been talking about are there conditions in which a group of players could compete, you know, and maybe it's for a giant fundraiser or just for the collective good of the people that you take a, a subset of players and is there a protocol in which um, they can be tested and quarantined and, or isolated in some way and then they can comp- com- compete against each other just because, again, people are stuck at home and I think they need a diversion they need to be entertained. And, and I just add to that point, one of the, th- the thoughts I've heard from you know, several of our teams and something I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, to the extent we were, we were the first to shut our league down, in what way can we be a first mover to help restart the economy? Because, I, I, again, I would just add is when you think about public health, of course, shutting down the economy, and I'm not criticizing the fact that we're doing it right now, we're, I'm following whatever the directives are, but there's no doubt that shutting down the economy is a, a public health matter as well. I mean, just in the case of the NBA, when you include all our day of game workers in our arenas, just the NBA accounts for roughly 55,000 jobs. And so it's like, I think we all have to be thinking collectively at what the right balance is and I, and I know, of course, this is the obligation of government officials. When will it be okay to sort of come back out of our homes and say it's, it's time to re-engage with each other? And as I said, when I look at the options, maybe we can do this incrementally. The first step isn't um, games with you know, thousands of people in the arenas, but maybe it's just games. You know, something I've always said, you know, 99% of people only consume the NBA through some sort of media platform. I mean, it's only a tiny percentage of our fans that actually get to see, see our games in arenas. So those, I can, those fans who, 
you know, watch on television or whatever device they have are fans just in the same way people are in the arena and maybe even through new kinds of technology. There's ways that fans can be virtual, that they can react to plays on the court and make noise in the arena. I don't know. You know, sometimes out of even the, the worst crisis comes opportunity. And one thing I'll say about the United States, and maybe as we've watched this unfold around the world, that we're an incredible country and some of the, the, the greatest inventions, some of the best innovation, some of the best minds are in this country. And I think we're, I'm sure as people are sitting home but still working, they're thinking of these various things. Like, like, so how can we restart the economy and what role can the NBA play? So I thought that was really, really good. And there's a lot to dissect there, Matt. But uh, the first and most important thing, I think, is that Adam Silver actually truly, really does care about the effect it ha- this all has on fans. You know, you would think that a, a commissioner of a league, he would be more concerned first and foremost with his players and how they would right. feel about playing in front of fans or not. But I do really, really take this as Adam Silver is doing everything he can to realize how important the NBA fan base is to not only the economy, but the restart of this entire league and keeping things somewhat at a normal level. What did you think about all of that? Yeah, I think my first reaction to it is that um, Silver obviously not only cares about his league and his players and the fans of this league, but also just like is a very compassionate and, and empathetic human being in that he's also trying to already think about how the NBA can help this country's economy bounce back. Uh, because I think that that's an effect that we haven't even begun to see yet as we're still only like a week or so into this. And it's going to be a problem that lasts for a lot long after they get the, you know, the number of people affected by this as far as people infected under control. Um, because obviously the NBA is a very lucrative business and whatever they can do to help this come back. I think, you know, he's that, I think that's why he's saying, I'm not ready to say, that this season is lost. I'm not ready to say that we're going to shut this down because he's still trying to be as optimistic while also realistic as possible to say there's some way that we can still salvage this and maybe it'll have an effect on next year's calendar and maybe it'll have an effect on the NBA calendar uh, perennially moving forward. But if there's any way that we can salvage some piece of this and in doing so, help the economy, help the employees of all these stadiums, help the fans that need this distraction, then we're absolutely going to do so. I find it interesting, too, that maybe, and maybe this is me reading a little bit too much into it, but is there something to say about this? Is like It is a good thing, whether or not Adam Silver himself and the people closest around him believe without a doubt that the NBA season is going to be canceled. There's no way they're going to be able to do this. And they're already game planning for say next season and how they can still keep that as normal as possible. But is there something to be said about keeping some type of hope in people's minds that, you know, this may, it may take two months, it may take three months, but to shut it all down right now would just basically leave people kind of hopeless about sports in general i know there's been some other leagues who have already kind of taken that precaution and we're sort of forced to do that but you know even if adam silver does believe you know the the likelihood of this nba season continuing is very 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 small to keep the hope in the fan base i think is not necessarily a bad thing because you think about it think about how many people get sad depressed you know feel feel of hopelessness saying you know I guess I guess we're just not going to see games. What does that mean for the rest of our our life for the next yeah. six months? Yeah, it, it, I mean truly, and I think that's why some of this is is so incredibly frustrating for those of us who are sports fans 
because yes, we love the sports and we care about the teams and the players, but it's also a wonderful distraction. Um, and uh, I mean the the hope versus no hope about whether or not this season will continue and we will have that distraction. I, mean, I can't not think of Shawshank Redemption right now. You know, if uh, are are you more of a red who thinks that hope is a dangerous thing, or are you more of an Andy who thinks hope is a good thing and no good thing ever dies? Because when it comes to our Bulls, I'm definitely more of a red. I am Morgan Freeman. Hope is a dangerous thing. If you're a Bulls fan. You're only going to disappoint yourself if you let you if you let yourself get your hopes up. Luck and hope are not a strategy season. or a plan. And salvaging it, then yeah, I'm definitely more of an Andy who's saying I'm going to hey, hold on and hang on to a little bit of hope that this NBA season clearly will be adjusted if it comes back, but that it will come back. And for those teams outside of the playoff picture right now, including our beloved Bulls, the season is over. I do believe that. I, th- I don't think that they're going to get any regular season games in if they come back. And maybe it's not until the middle of June. Maybe it's not until late June. I think, but when they do that, I think they're going straight to the playoffs. So, it, you know, if, if your team is on the outside looking in, then maybe you don't have hope for this season continuing. But as just an NBA fan who wants to see playoff games, who wants to see a champion crowned, I am holding out hope for that. What about you? Luck and hope are not a strategy or a plan. I heard, Shut up, Paxson. <laughs> I heard uh, I heard Jared Dudley talk about this too, and I was curious from the players' perspective of this is like, how do they feel about say, let's just say August is the time frame where the NBA says, okay, everybody, it's safe, it's safe for us to come back and at least resume games. Not even thinking about the fans or having anybody in attendance or anything, but just from the players' perspective, how quickly can those guys get back into? game day type of shape where they're playing games and all of a sudden you have to play the most important games of your entire season I don't know two weeks out I would imagine they're going to probably play four six games to try to get like as a quote-unquote like reintroduction into the season I don't know if you call it a preseason or I don't know what you would call it but basically four to six games to get these guys back to game day form and Jared Dudley goes man even the the highest of these athletes need three or four weeks to try to make themselves back to the point that they were at, get back into their routines. You can do as much as possible on your own, but it's a whole different ball game when you're trying to to be connected with your teammates, try to figure out a game plan, just going through the daily routine yeah. of being an NBA player in season. So I thought that was interesting too. And not, and not just missing out on the touch-up practices with your teammates, but just keeping yourself in shape, you know, like you were saying that, that Jerry Dudley was alluding to and keeping these, you know, these peak athletes in peak physical condition. The other factor here is that all 30 teams have been instructed to shut down their team facilities. So even the, the players who are, you know, social distancing and self quarantining, like the bulls couldn't even go to the advocate center right now to get in a workout by themselves. Yeah, and to think that the, you know, we were just laughing last week about Joe Kim Noah shutting down his entire fitness complex at his apartment complex because uh, he decided to turn it into, into his own personal gym. So, I, you know, guys are going to have to find ways to stay in shape. And the other thing, too, is we didn't talk about the fact that the NBA decided uh, to take away its drug testing policy for the duration of the three-month shutdown. So you know what Dion Waiters is going to be doing for the next three months? It's the weed. All the edibles. Smoke weed every day. So we're so getting- many edibles for waiters. So 
I'm just curious to see some of these guys who, you know, desperately need their professional, you know, nutritionist, all of these guys, they're probably still going to be in communication with all of them, but how can you kind of handle it yourself when you're quarantined alone? So I'm curious to see how these guys come back once the NBA comes back, what kind of shape they're in. I mean, I'm guaranteeing you not all 100% of the players are going to be in the same shape they were here in February. Uh, I guarantee you Cristiano Felicio is going to be in the same shape he was in February. <laughs> is that is that is that due to the weed or just just him being him? Just him being him, dude. It's the paychecks. weed. So, <laughs> Cristiano Felicio. Uh, before we get to John Hollinger's thing, just because you brought him up, I thought it was interesting perspective from Thomas Adaransky, who talked about wanting the NBA to just completely end the season so he could go back to the Czech Republic and spend it with his family and said he's got to stay here in the United States, stay quarantined until they figure out whether or not there's going to be a season. I think that they lifted some of the restrictions to go over there, but I can only imagine it's an it's an absolute nightmare for international players who have their families still overseas and that's where they live in the off seasons. Yeah, I mean, I understand why Sato is ready to shut this season down and go home because the team he plays for sucks and he himself has been going through a downward spiral of poor play so much so that recently he lost his starting job to a rookie uh, in, in Kobe White who finally, finally got the start from Boylan right before the season uh, was put on hiatus. So, I mean, I, I get it. If, if, if I'm Sadoransky, I have a million reasons to want to go home, get the fuck out of here and just call this season done. Let's, you know, I don't know when the the, the 2021 season is going to pick up, when, you know, training camp's going to be, whatever that is, you know, October, November, hit me up and, you, you know, you know where I'll be until then. I get it. I, I sympathize with that because the, I mean, these are scary times and what you want to do is be with your family uh, and, and your loved ones. And like that's what I'm doing right now. I'm laying low up in the woods of northern Michigan staying the hell away from everybody except my family. And I hope that all of the listeners out there are doing the same thing if they can. And to those of you who can't, I certainly understand why that is hard. And so, of course, I understand where Sadoransky's coming from. It's a tough thing, you know, and the NBA, again, is trying to do the best that they can. And I I, I get it, too. It, it sucks. It's a terrible situation to be put in. Uh, but hopefully hopefully the NBA can figure something out sooner rather than later. And even if it is, you know, the other thing too is talking about how most of the fan base is streaming their games and very, you know, only a fraction of fans are going to games every single night. And he said, you know, that's a huge importance and that's something that I think we can lean on. And it's a good point. We were talking about this yesterday and how the MLB has been so strict with their streaming capabilities and where you need to go. It's like the NBA does or the MLB does this thing where you have to search probably for two hours to try to find your game if you're not in market and have cable. It's the most absurd thing you could do in 2020 as a professional sports organization. But that's a huge obstacle. Like say the NBA decides, you know what, uh, come June 1st, we're going to start playing games not in front of fans, prep ourselves to get the playoffs started by July. You could you could you could be pumping this out to all these streaming services. The NBA knows that they could still bring their game to the fans and the fans could still have the same level of almost the same level of enjoyment watching the games. 
as it would be if there were live fans. Sure, the, the games are going to be a little bit weird without the crowd noise and any of that, but that's a little minor things that they could figure out too. But the MLB is going to have a huge problem if they start playing games without fans there and then decide, you know what, we're not going to lift our restrictions. It's still going to be blacked out in all of these markets. So I thought that was another thing that I think could be a positive in helping the NBA is the amount of people that use social media and technology to consume the NBA. Um, and, you know, Silver talked about it as, you know, option one. Um, you know, I, obviously, like, I, I'm with you. I, th- I think it's a bigger issue for baseball uh, than it would be for the NBA. Um, but, I, I mean, as far as the NBA is concerned, yeah, it would be weird, uh, you know, to have these games played, especially playoff games where the the crowd uh, and the electricity in the building is such a big element to it. And home court advantage is such a big deal in NBA playoff series. Um, especially in, you know, those momentum swinging kind of, kind of moments. And, and especially like in fourth quarter, uh, in fourth quarter action, like the fans not being there would have an effect on it. I absolutely uh, believe that. But if the options are okay, following the guidelines of health professionals, as silver says that they have done, you know, from day one of this becoming an issue, if they say you can bring your season back and you can do these playoff games in these stadiums, but other than team staff and, uh, you know, pr- probably a reduced number of media access and, you know, and having enough camera people there to broadcast this thing, no fans in the stands. Or you don't have those playoff series and you don't finish the season at all. To me, it's an obvious choice. Yeah, it would suck to not have fans in the stands. But, you know, like you were saying a moment ago, most of us ingest these games from watching it our televisions at home. But, you know, it's only 20,000 of millions of fans of these teams that are actually in the stadium that night. Yeah, and I'm always curious, too, how many people are actually paying attention while they're in the games. Obviously, like going to a game, part of it is the in-game experience as well, everything surrounding around the game. Uh, but you're right, like the passionate fans, the ones that, maybe can't afford to go to games or just don't live in the same city as their favorite team can go to these games every single night and how about the all the international fans too that have no access to you can't fly overseas just to go see a game regularly so there there's definitely an appetite for it it would be weird it would be something that we would all have to adjust to but i think after a while and look it's 2020 we have such good technology now like adam silver was talking about that we can figure things out. You know, the part of the thing, and this is what I really, really liked, and then we'll go to John Hollinger and then we'll get out of here. He said, as bad as this virus is for our, for our society and as bad as the things that we're going through right now, it brings an opportunity for innovation. And I think he's 100% right. And that doesn't just go for sports. It, you know, they can figure out new ways to incorporate technology into the NBA that maybe we didn't think about before when we had regular games. So I do think that there are people working nonstop around the clock to figure out ways that we can engage and make the game as normal as possible if they do decide to go the way of no fans in the stadium, which I ultimately think once games are are started back, that there aren't going to be fans for, for a while. So um I don't know. They, uh, I, I guess they're doing the Gar Foreman thing. We, we studied the options. And they, they studied the options. So they're, they're continuing <laughs> to do that. So, um, yeah, I, you know, that, that's the best you could do. You can look at your options, you could weigh them, and then we, we studied the options. Make, make a decision. Don't let Gar do it, obviously, but weigh the options, figure out what can work, 
and go from there. And I, I get that there are so many uh, ripple effects to all of this. Um, and as you said, Ed, you might as well just you know get to that now. This piece that John Hollinger wrote for The Athletic about how these loss of games and how this entire coronavirus situation with the NBA can end up having a pretty significant impact on the salary cap next year uh, because of what he calls the basketball-related income for teams and their home games. Um, league sources peg the average gate for an NBA team at just a shade under $2 million per home game. From the mid-threes for a team like Golden State, something much closer to $1 million for teams like Memphis and New Orleans. Um, and assuming, what, about nine or ten home games uh, left for each team in the league, Hollinger uh, estimates that you're talking about over $500 million. And that basketball-related uh, income, or BRI, is roughly split with the players and then has cut 30 ways to produce a cap number. Playing the rest of the season in front of empty crowds, which is what you and I were just talking about, could theoretically drop next year's cap by $8 million. Which, I mean, it, it's not a gigantic cut to this ridiculously large NBA salary cap, but it's not nothing. And it'll have effect on teams that are right there, it, you know, skating that line of are we an under the cap team or are we like for like for a team like the Bulls, that could mean $8 million difference between being under the cap or being over. Because assuming that, you know, things like Otto Porter Jr. picking up his player option and the Bulls still being unable to trade the untradeable asset, quote unquote, that is Felicio and the remaining $8 million on his contract, like the Bulls were planning on being a team modestly just kind of standard pat this offseason with the poor free agent class, the fact that they didn't really have a lot of wiggle room. Now taking an $8 million hit to this cap for next season could put them and many other teams in the league in a dicey situation. Yeah, I think the thing, too, to think about in terms of the Bulls is it hurts them, too. Think about if the cap goes down $8 million. That could be the difference in re-signing Chris Dunn or not, whether or not Thad Young or Thomas Adaransky have any trade value at all. You know, we were thinking like $10 million, not a big deal, not a huge chunk of money in terms of everything that goes on with especially competing teams' salary caps. That wouldn't be as hard to match. But, I mean, you drop the salary cap to $8 million, like you're talking about, that could be the difference of a play, of resetting a player that's, that you think is going to be crucial or you're hoping to bring back. And now you have you have decisions to make about that. I, I think it is hard to kind of wrap your brain around the fact that the NBA could be at a point where they lose over a billion dollars. And I get it. The NBA and their owners and everybody else are billionaires. But still, you think about the impact on players, too. And I get players are multimillionaires. But right. Hollinger was it, talking it, about it Simmons. It seems trivial to... You know, Joe, you know, Joe, average sports fan who's maybe has some kind of freelance or non-steady part of their income that they need to survive on a daily basis that is being affected by this very, you know, the same issue that's affecting all of us right now that, you know, to say, oh, well, the owners might lose some money and they're billionaires or, oh, these NBA players might lose some money and most of them are millionaires. Like, I, I get that some of it seems kind of like, oh, whoop-de-doo. Right. And like he was talking about Ben Simmons and Pascal Siakam's contracts don't their extensions don't kick in until this summer. But if the NBA salary cap drops by eight million, they're affected too because their max salaries are I think what he said was they're adjusted to what the salary cap would be. So we wouldn't get the same type of money and the same type of deals. And look, 
it's probably in the grand scheme of things, it's, instead of making what 180 million or 200 million dollars, you're going to make 150 or whatever the case may be. So for 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 multimillionaires, it's not that big of a deal. Like you said, the effect is more the average person that that's watching these games and having to go to a regular job or being out of a job. So yeah. I don't feel too bad about that for NBA players. I get it, and that's a lot of money to lose. But in the grand scheme of things, what's the difference between 150 million dollars and 200 million dollars? Well, and you know, you think about some of the, you know, back end of the of the roster guys, back end of the rotation guys on non guaranteed contracts, guys like Joakim Noah was one of several. I want to say like ten or a dozen players in the league that were as things were put on indefinite suspension on ten day contracts. Right. So you know what happens to those players, and was that maybe Joakim's last shot? And if the season doesn't come back, was that his last shot? And can he not get back because of something like this that happened? So, you know, again, yes, Joakim Noah also is a player who signed a ridiculous contract with the Knicks after all of his years with the Bulls and has been paid handsomely and is not at risk of starving to death. He and his family going to be fine. So, again, you have to put all that in perspective. But it's going to have more of an effect, I think, on those players. And Supermax players maybe will have more, will feel more of an effect because they deal with bigger numbers. And maybe there are certain players who were gunning for, you know, getting the designated player exception level of a contract and, and they will be hindered because of this players with certain incentives uh, that will be hindered, you know, because of this, but obviously the ones that will be hit more, more directly are the ones who are playing on, on shorter term contracts on lesser monetary contracts. It's crazy. We don't know the impact completely. Like, I feel like this is just for a lot of people to feel like this. It's just the tip of the iceberg as we start to learn more information. You know who I, and I get like the, like Jerry Reinsdorf and Rocky Wirtz are going to take care of all of the game day ops people for the, the remaining games. But what happens after that? I feel bad. I still feel for those types of people more so than I feel bad for the multimillionaires who maybe don't get an, a shot. And like you were talking about though, like how does the, like, as a human, how does that affect those type of people? Like Joe Keem, we talked about him being out of the league, uh, potentially being out of the league and being fallen into this huge hole of depression and the great story that brought him back to the NBA and wanting to play again and going back to the Grizzlies. So even though they have a lot of money, there's still a human element to it that makes me feel like, you know, what happens if this is the last shot for guys and all of a sudden it was taken away? The similar way that we feel for uh, kids who are seniors in high school and it was their last season and they didn't get to finish that or guys that guys and girls that were in college that didn't get to play the, in their ter- last tournament games or even going to just the regular human side of it. But everybody that's going to miss graduation, things like that, like this is just all the things that I think about when it comes back mm. to it. So I got to go back to the millionaires and think about the human side to them too. So don't, uh, don't say the phrase missing graduation. It's going to trigger the Derrick Rose fans listening. <laughs> well, I can tell you that, uh, you know, if we're, if there is no graduations and now I, it, I would say it's pretty safe to say Derek will be able to, uh, walk at <laughs> PJ's graduation, whatever. Yeah, I was going to say, how, how many more years until Poo, uh, Poo Jr. graduates from high school? Probably like what, like 12, 12, 13, 14? Yeah, yeah something like, like that. that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, with that, I think 
that kind of sums up our update for the NBA and uh, where we stand as of this weekend. But I thought it was an interesting conversation. You definitely go back and read the article from John Hollinger talking about the NBA's salary cap and talking about the effects money-wise if that interests you. Uh, But I also encourage you to, if you didn't listen to any of Adam Silver or just the piece that we played here at the beginning of the show, go back and listen to his his press conference and then go back and listen to his interviews on TNT and also on the jump because I think it's very informative and if you want some type of hope to believe in that the NBA is going to come back he's somebody that I would definitely continue to listen to Uh, but for Locked on Bulls thank you so much for listening Uh, for Matt Peck for Jordan Malley Bulls Nation have a wonderful day we'll be back tomorrow we've got plenty of planned all week long uh, surprises as well so make sure you're following us at Locked on Bulls at Jordan C. Malley and at Bulls underscore you can hit us up with your thoughts. Uh, you got questions. Maybe you don't. And maybe it's not Bulls or NBA related. And you want to drop us a question or a voicemail. You can do that at 331-979-1369. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation. We are saying we are out of here. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. And you're getting high in the middle of the afternoon off some weed. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.